0: underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals get more cool facts about united healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com
1: the irish times business podcast in
2: association with irish life supporting companies and their employees for 75
3: years we know irish life we are irish life
1: Hello and welcome to Inside Business Here on Hancock, a podcast from The Irish Times. Later in the show, Joe Brennan of The Irish Times will tell us about Gabriel McClough's first days as the new governor of the Central Bank of Ireland, while Mark Paul reports on a legal route between an Irish-backed company and the Nigerian government. But first, Peter Hamilton joins me in studio to run through some of the major business stories of the week. Peter, you're very welcome. Thanks, Kieran. Now, we're going to start with exchequer returns and we're going to talk about Brexit as well. And the government now, of course, for another record tax take this year.
0: That's right. The latest executive returns show that corporation tax in particular has been very strong for the state again this year and rec- uh, generated a record $4.9 billion. That's ahead of projections. I suppose the worry is, and, and the government has been criticised and warned about this before, is that 40% of the corporation tax receipts come from a handful of companies speculated to be uh, Facebook, Google, Microsoft and those US multinationals that operate uh, in the economy. So, in total, the Exchequer is uh, up £2.6 billion year on year. So the speculation is that this could leave the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, some wriggle, wiggle room for Well, tax substantial
1: wiggle room, I would have thought. We have the budget coming up on October 8th. Mm. And, well, you would think this gives them plenty of scope uh, for tax cuts, no? You,
0: you would, I suppose. But the big concern is that... We now expect a UK election to follow in six days. Uh, six days after our budget, and after that, obviously, is the Brexit date of October thirty first. So, there is a lot of the expectation around, yeah. is that this could very well be and, and, and will likely be a cautious buz- budget, and that the minister will have to play it safe.
1: Right. Okay. Uh, well, that's something to look forward and, to.
0: And of course, th- those, those worries about a hard Brexit are intensifying uh, intensifying today with DBRS, the ratings agency, saying that. A severe hard Brexit could reignite sectarian violence here uh, and more broadly in the UK, lead to a break of the break up of the union. So there are fairly significant yeah, risks. Very strong
1: language from a, an international ratings agency. You don't necessarily get that type of language uh, in in the papers they put out about various economies.
0: No, I suppose you don't. I think they have they've gone through the steps which they believe lead to this, lead to an increase in or a return rather to uh, sectarian violence. They're saying that in the event of a severe hard Brexit where there are no relations between the UK uh, and the EU. Uh, That would lead to discontent in Northern Ireland which could spark desires to leave and that in turn could could lead to this violence. Um, Look, it it is one of many concerns but while we still don't know what's going to happen, obviously the government is now entering uh, negotiations with the European Commission about where to situate customs checks for cross-border trade. So Look, uh, plenty of concerns. Yeah,
1: that, w- that was Simon Coveney uh, speaking earlier today. That's All right, now, uh, Delata is the biggest hotel group on the island and they had some results out this week and stellar results, I think it's fair to say.
0: Yeah, very strong yet again. And to get better, but just it, we, we look at what they did in the first half of the year, their profit reached 42.4 million and they had revenues of just over two hundred and one million. very healthy million. Uh, profit margin. It's not bad, it's not bad. About now, they're still acquiring still acquiring uh, and I'll come to that in a moment but what was interesting there were plenty of interesting nuggets Uh, talking to Pat McCann yesterday he was saying that they expect record revenues across a number of hotels this year Um, and on Dublin which we which you know, there hasn't been as much talk of new hotel requirements in Dublin in recent months but he said that Dublin isn't softening uh, but unfortunately for Dilatta or perhaps fortunately for consumers because they control about 20% of the market they can't acquire anymore in Dublin uh, due to competition concerns so they can build but can't acquire is what Pat McCann And they have been building have they? have
1: been very active uh, in the market They have and they're, they're still the on site years.
0: indeed uh, on some including the former Tara Tower Towers Hotel in Bootsdam and, and they've just extended a lease on the Bulls Bridge Hotel out to 2021 so that was due to end uh, well before that so that's yeah. positive for them here well, Pat McCann has been busy wearing another hat as well he has he's on the board of Glenvey Properties and I suppose last month, Glen Vey Properties lost its CEO, or he, at least he announced his retirement. Uh, so to, to well, he announced his
1: departure. Let's not. Uh, sorry, not sorry,
0: not retirement. Well, retirement from the company, but yeah, departure, departure. But to shore up confidence, I suppose the chairman then went and bought some shares. Now, Pat McCann, a recently appointed board member, has bought seventy thousand shares, and he's uh, shelled out uh, over forty four and a half grand for the privilege. All right, well, uh,
1: the latter are doing well, so I'm sure you can afford it. Um, now, we love our drink in Ireland, uh, especially if it has alcohol in it, and uh, wine sales here have been rising, rising, rising for many years, but now they're falling.
0: They they are, I don't know what's the, what is this perhaps a new health-conscious Ireland, who knows, but the consumption of wine per capita, as you say, it fell across the state by three three 3.6%. Wine consumption overall fell 2%. So, it's So been heavily taxed now in, in
1: recent years, so it's not cheap. I was in France um, just last yeah. week you could buy wine. I didn't taste it. I don't know whether it was good, bad or indifferent, but you could buy bottles of wine for two or three quid. You can. Like you can here, buy cartons of wine in France for, for, for that price, I think. Uh, here, what, you'd spend eight, nine quid minimum, I, I would have thought, for a, a bottle of wine.
0: I think so. I'm not a huge, huge wine, wine drinker myself. I suppose the, the thing is that Wine is still very popular. It still uh, holds 27% of the overall uh, alcoholic drinks market, just second to beer, generates about £376 million, uh, in tax. Sparkling wine becoming very popular with the share overall uh, accounted for by sparkling wines rising by three quarters. So, look, it's still a popular drink here. It's, you know, for for... Every man, woman, and child on the island drank six bottles of Chilean wine uh, alone last year. So is that right? Uh, so look, I mean, it's not going away. It may be becoming more expensive, and while our appetite so, may what's your be Dipping ever uh, so slightly. Chilean, French, Italian. Mm-hmm. You a cab sav man, Merlot, I'm not red a huge, white. I'm not a huge wine drinker, so I'm not best placed to comment on this. Uh, I'm more of a beer slash Guinness man, but. Uh, so, so I, I can't really speak to wine. A uh, good traditional Irishman,
1: all right. We'll we leave it there. <laughs> Peter Hamilton, thank you for joining us. Now, on Monday, Cairo-born Gabriel McClough started his first day as governor of the Central Bank of Ireland. He has succeeded Philip Lane, who moved in June to a senior role at the European Central Bank and is the first overseas head of the Central Bank in its 76-year history. He left his previous role with the New Zealand Treasury amid controversy over a budget leak. And Joe Brennan of the Irish Times joins me now in studio. Um, Joe... Gabriel McClough it's fair to say that he left New Zealand under a bit of a cloud
3: Yeah I suppose when um, the appointment was made back in in, in, uh, the end of May uh, the announcement uh, I think it caught a lot of people by surprise Mm. Uh, as you say yourself it was the first outsider in the 76 uh, Tell us a little bit about him what's his background Yeah so he's he was born in in, in Egypt himself Um, his parents his father is uh, Cypriot British and his mother is Greek Armenian Uh, he would have travelled a lot uh, in his younger years I think his father came from diplomatic kind of background. Um, it, most of his, he studied economics, but most of his professional career has been in the UK civil service, uh, specialising on the on the tax front. Um, back in 2011, he was hired by the New Zealand uh, Treasury Department uh, to become its chief executive. So basically became the, the most senior civil servant in, in, in New Zealand. Um, And he worked there for a number of years um, and then was selected. uh, There was a competition to to find a successor to uh, Philip Lane as the uh, governor of the central Bank after he was appointed, as as he was going to the ECB itself to become the, the chief economist of the ECB.
1: Yeah, OK. And uh, post that, post uh, McClough's appointment by um, Pascal Lund, who's the Minister for Finance, he got caught up in a controversy around a, a budget leak. Um, just tell us the background to that. Yeah, I suppose,
3: unfortunate timing. Uh, within weeks of of the the announcement uh, that McLoof would become the next uh, central bank governor, it emerged that um, there was a leak of budgetary details uh, in New Zealand and um Maclew himself basically said this was uh, systematically that the systems were systematically and deliberately hacked and called in the police to investigate It subsequently emerged that actually the details that um, had been leaked were easily searched uh, or searchable on the uh, Treasury Department um, There was a, an investigation carried out into what happened and also his, his, his handling of the affair uh, and basically it criticised that came out at the end of, of, of June and it criticised basically his clumsy handling of, of the leaks and found that he could have, while he acted in good faith um, and in a politically neutral manner, so instead he could handle it better. Instead of the website being
1: hacked, they effect, they effectively put the information up there themselves, yeah, didn't realise it, and it was available for the opposition parties to uh, root around.
3: Yeah, and one of the key issues was that he seemed to continue to hold that line, even though he was presented with evidence that... This um, was easily found on, on, on the website itself.
1: Now, that controversy led to a little bit of a stir here because we had some people coming out. I think John Burton of the Labour Party came out and said, well, hold on, you know, we need a statement on what's going on here, um, what happened uh, with, in New Zealand and uh, and so forth. Um, that hasn't happened yet. But Pascal Dunne, who did indicate that Gabriel McLoof at some point would make a statement about the controversy in
3: Yeah, interestingly, the first time that uh, Pascal Dunhue actually met uh, McClough was in late July, early August, when he was over here, I think, looking for a house uh, or accommodation himself. And he paid a, uh, paid a courtesy call on, on, on the minister. Subsequent to that, um, he issued, or the mini- he, he sent a letter to the minister just describing his handling of the affair and... Um, and maybe he said that maybe he could have been handled better, um, more clearly and with a different emphasis. And there was an expectation that that was drawing a line underneath it. Um, our understanding is that he still is planning to do something more public in, in the near term to, to address the situation, hopefully to draw a line under, under the situation. But we
1: don't have a time frame as yet. No. Now, Monday was his first day.
3: Uh, you've been writing this week in the Irish Times about how he has a bulging in trade. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's it a number of things kind of coming down the tracks. Uh, most imminently, you have uh, a fairly important ECB uh, governing council meeting uh, in the middle of this month, next week, actually. Um, and we had the uh, the ECB president uh, a number of months ago highlighting that or flicking at the the, the strong possibility that um, there'll be a, a, a stimulus package uh, unleashed. Um, recently, about two or three weeks ago, we had the, the Finnish uh, central bank governor, who is also on the on the governing council, uh, saying that he expected a, a very strong and significant uh, package to be released because of the the flagging eurozone economy. More recently, now we're seeing kind of more hawkish voices saying that you know one of the one of the things was expected was that the quantitative easing bond buying program, which is built up a balance sheet of about 2.6 billion for the ECB, that that will be kind of re-engineered. But now we have more hawkish voices saying that, hold off, we need to hold off and maybe delay this for, for, until a later time. So it's going to be kind of, a fairly kind of big debate next week. It's not as clear-cut as had been expected. Now, it's, unexp- it's highly unlikely that Gabriel will be a, a strong voice either way in this debate.
1: Yeah, and in fact, he's told staff he's going to be in listening mode over the next few months. What's he mean by that?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, it was a very short, he sent out a very short message to staff um, late in the day on, on 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 Monday and saying basically for the first for the foreseeable future, he's going to be in listening mode. He's going to be listening to staff. He's also going to be listening to uh, European, uh, Euro system uh, colleagues trying to assess... Where the Irish economy is, um, trying to assess, you know, the, the, the structure of the central bank, the, the the strong point, or what would have been considered the strong uh, thing for him when he got the job, was that he had been in charge of a large organisation. Um, so you would expect that maybe he'll try and put his own kind of stamp on the structure of the the central bank. You're talking of 1,900 people working with the central bank at the moment. Yeah, um, and yeah. other things on the on the agenda you have. we have um, Brexit. We have Brexit and he highlighted Brexit, trade tensions and the weakening global economic outlook as as issues and challenges um, for the central bank uh, as he started off on the job. Coming down the tracks, we also have the, the mortgage rules. Yeah, um, now this is
1: an interesting one. This is the macroprudential rules, which put a limit on how much people can borrow from their banks or how much banks can lend to people, if you want to put it that way. Um, and they do an annual review. So he's going to essentially oversee that
3: mm. Yeah so they were brought in by the second last governor um, Patrick Conan back in 2015 they were continued and held strongly they were tweaked marginally by under, under Philip Lane they're up for review over the coming months there has been a bit of kind of political kind of uh, encroaching on the territory with uh, Leo Varadkar the Taoiseach saying that you know a, a few months ago that he thought that the rules are very tough particularly for renters who were trying to build up a deposit to to, to to, to buy a home, and at the same time they're they're facing exorbitant prices for, for for rent themselves. So it'll be interesting to see whether you know he kind of bows to kind of political uh, persuasion, maybe to, to to loosen the rules. I think watchers would want to see him. Uh, take yeah, it's a fairly independent it? because. Well, the central
1: it, bank has always operated independently of absolutely. the state. Yeah, and absolutely, and, and, and
3: upholding its independence is, is is paramount for the for the central mm. bank as well. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see how he how comes through that. Other things coming down the tracks, we have a senior executive accountability regime. This is brought out is basically there was a review after the tracker during the tracker crisis, looking at the, the the culture of the banks. And one area, that the central bank found that there was a weakness in that. There was no system where you could actually really pinpoint uh, a senior banker and saying this was, these are his roles of responsibility. So if something went wrong, that he is actually accountable for it. So when you're trying to go after the, these individuals as much, it's very difficult. Um, there is legislation coming down the tracks that will go out to consultation with the central bank and the central bank will ultimately be responsible for, for, for overseeing that.
1: Yeah, right now. What about Sharon Donnery? She was in the race uh, to be governor of the Central Bank of Ireland, tipped by a lot of people. I'm not looking at you, Joe. And uh, Gabriel McClough got the job. Uh, she was acting governor between uh, Philip Lane departing and him taking up the role this week. She was. Previously deputy governor, as well as having other responsibilities. Does she simply go back
3: to her day job? Yeah, I think he'll, you know, coming in, he'll have to rely very heavily on, on Sharon, given that she's, you know, been in the central bank since 1996. Um, also, given that he doesn't know much about the euro system, she will have that knowledge. She will have a lot of knowledge of the ECB. I understand she's going to the ECB meeting with him next week as well. Uh, he'll also be relying very heavily on his uh, director of economics, uh, Mark Cassidy. So, While he may have a very strong kind of, or would have been seen to have a very strong uh, organisational background, he will have to rely very, very much on on the team around him to help him as he kind of eases his way into the, the, the job.
1: All right, Joe Brennan, thank you for joining us. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to Mark Paul about a legal row involving an Irish-backed company and the Nigerian government.
2: Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to IrishLifeEmpower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of
0: Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015.
1: Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Now, in August, an Irish-backed company that had won a $9.6 billion court judgment in the UK against the Nigerian government over a failed gas deal alleged that the African nation's decision to launch a criminal investigation into the deal was a sham. The Irishmen at the centre of this intriguing story are Brendan Cattle and the late Mick Quinn. Mark Paul has been covering the story and he joins me in studio now to explain the background to it all. Mark, this really is, truly is a bizarre story. But first of all, tell us who Brendan Cattle and Mick Quinn are.
2: Uh, Brendan Cahill and Mick Quinn, are two Irish businessmen uh, who who started doing business together in the 1980s. Um, Brendan Cahill is still alive um, um, and still works. Um, and Mick Quinn died in 2015 uh, of cancer. But two uh, two very, very colourful businessmen. Mick Quinn in particular um, is a businessman who did a lot of uh, deals in Nigeria. Born in Drimna, he knew Liam Lawler when he was young, was always very close to Liam Lawler. And... Um, uh, he became involved in the show bands business uh, back in the 60s and the 70s, managing Dickie Rock and Twink and bands like that. Um, and, and through those links, he developed very close links with Albert Reynolds, um, and the leader of Fianna Fáil, who, of course, was also uh, famous in the show bands era as well. Um, and so a very, very colourful businessman, a sort of businessman you'd see around town, not with his name necessarily in the papers, but he'd know the people that mattered in Ireland. Um, his business partner then... In Ireland, there's a gentleman uh, called Brendan Cahill, um, um, effectively a business advisor who, who, whose business seemed to have been over the years brokering deals. Um, um, he was, was involved in an attempt to at take over of um, Switzer's department store, um, um, which never actually came to pass. But he was involved also in many industrial deals with um, his friend and partner, Mick Quinn, in Nigeria. And one of those... Um, has ultimately led to the situation we are, where our, that we're in now where an Irish-backed company um, has a, a judgment for $9.6 billion against a sovereign state in Africa. Tell us about that company and tell us how they got involved in gas in Nigeria. Well, they, they had done many industrial projects together in Nigeria, um, um, McQueen and Brendan Cahill. Um, you know, they had refurbished tanks together um, and, and they had been involved in a scheme... Oil tanks. Uh, uh, no tanks, as tanks in tanks, tanks Army, guns. tanks Army tanks, yeah, yeah, a bit like ta- tanks that in sold Nigeria. in Nigeria. Yeah, they they were refurbishing old Soviet tanks for the Nigerian government, and you know, turning them into less old and, and refurbished Soviet tanks um, for the Nigerian government. So they have been involved in a lot of this sort of stuff. And um, uh, around about 2008, um, there was this idea that they would build a gas refinery for the Nigerian government. In Nigeria, they do lots of oil, right? And, and, and when you drill for oil as a byproduct, of that, you get what's called wet gas. It's gas, that's a liquid. And it's sort of, you either burn it off in a flare um, um, or you do something with it, you refine it in some way. The Nigerians were just burning it off in flares all the time, hurting people's throats and hurting the atmosphere um, and because they had no way of getting rid of it. So, um, Cahill, and, and Quinn um, established an offshore company called Process and Industrials Development, and they pitched an idea to the Nigerian government. They said, if you give us all your wet gas and build a pipeline and build, bring it to Calabar, we'll build a refinery there at a, on, on our expense, and we'll refine that for you, and you'll be able to use it to heat people's homes. All you've got to allow us is to keep some of the, the, the proceeds and, uh, and and some of the, the, um, 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 the, the excess gas. And so we it's essentially that that a joint venture. Essentially a joint venture. The Nigerians, um, when I say the Nigerians, I mean the Nigerian state. Um, and Nigeria was to supply the wet gas and the pipeline, and uh, 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 the Irish businessmen were going to supply the refinery, and everybody would have been happy. This deal was signed in 2010. Now, shortly after this deal was signed, the president who had been in power, um, and, and was that deal was negotiated, passed away. Um, and the regime changed, I suppose. Um, and eventually uh, the, the, the deal didn't come to pass. Um, and, and the Nigerians eventually pulled out. But of course, they had signed a contract, a legal contract. And in that contract, um, it stipulated that uh, if there's a row over this, we go to arbitration in London. Um, so it ended up in arbitration in London. The arbitration award that was awarded to uh, P&ID, the, the Irish-backed company, um, was huge. It was the largest arbitration award in, in commercial history, $6.6 billion, um, and which was for more than 20 years of lost profits. Now, that figure um, um, was clocking up interest at the rate of $1.2 million per day, uh, and, and now it is 9.6 billion that is owed by the Nigerian government. And what happened last month, what, what, what sparked all of this off is that the new Nigerian government, um, and it's become a big political scandal for them because P&ID um, brought the arbitration award that hasn't yet been paid to a UK court and said, will you validate this award? And the court has validated it. So according to a UK court, Nigeria owes these two Irish businessmen, one of whom is now deceased, $9.6 billion. That's a lot of money to try and collect.
1: It is a lot of money to try and collect, particularly out of a country like Nigeria. I'm not casting any aspersions on Nigeria, but uh, it's a different landscape. It's a different landscape. landscape. So, is the paper that this judgment is written on, is is, is is it worth anything?
2: Well, you see, having a judgment for $9.6 million is one thing. Being able to enforce that judgment, seizing assets, going through court cases, appointing administrators, receivers, all of that sort of stuff. All that, of which would have to be done, presumably, in Nigeria. For every asset, for every asset that they would look to repossess um, from the Nigerian state. What, what, what this court judgment does is it allows them to try and repossess Nigerian assets in the UK and, and ultimately about 150 other countries. To what's called a New York Convention, which is an international um, treaty for recognising arbitration proceedings. Now, there's certain stuff that the Nigerians have that you just couldn't repossess, like their, their embassies. I mean, you can't, you can't repossess an embassy; it's sovereign. It's uh, it's, it's 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 Nigerian soil, um, 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 and 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 you know they don't have a court award in Nigeria, um, but they could try and uh, uh, repossess stuff like um, 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 tankers belonging to the state oil company. Um, and bank accounts, um, the, the Nigerian government would have bank accounts in different countries so that are try and repossess some of that money. But that's very, very, very expensive and difficult to do when you're opening yourself up to a decade of, 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 of legal uh, challenges from the Nigerian government. So really what happens in these sorts, this is effectively a form of sovereign debt that, sovereign, that Nigeria now owes, according to a court. Um, and, and, and really what I think the Irish-backed company p and is looking for is a deal. Um, and, and, you know, we won't take the full nine point six billion off you, but there was a suggestion at on one stage that they would have accepted eight hundred and fifty million dollars, still a juicy sum. But what's interesting about this now is that um, this offshore company that, that they used for the deal, the, these Irish guys, um, PNID, um, it's now it appears twenty five percent owned by VR Capital, which is a US hedge fund that specialises in extracting debts from sovereign mm. nations of, of countries. So what these guys have come in, they've bought 25% of the company. Um, we don't know for how much. Um, the documents don't tell us for how much. Um, but it's, it's plainly obvious that, that their cash is funding this campaign for payment now. I mean, p have the best of lawyers. Um, they have um, um, the best PR st- strategy in something like this that I've ever seen. It certainly leaves the Nigerian government's PR strategy in dust. Um, they've got... Um, um, document resource centres set up online. They've got um, a very, very good and informative websites. They've got lots of people you can contact and talk. And they have a strategy, they have a plan um, 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 to try and, I suppose, bring the Nigerian government to the negotiating table. This is a huge, huge, huge political scandal now for Nigeria because this is one-fifth of that country's foreign reserves potentially at risk. Um, and so what did
1: the Nigerian government
2: been saying. Nigerian government, well, they've rejected the award um, 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 but they can reject it all they like. It still exists in that sense. Um, um, They've they've, um, alleged that there was corruption amongst Nigerian officials at the time of the awarding of the contract, um, but they have yet to put forward proof of that. They've ordered a police investigation, and, a, um, and it's called the FCC, it's, it's a, like, a, like a financial crimes commission in Nigeria, um, and, and which is now investigating it. But ultimately, um, um, this problem won't go away for the Nigerian government until some sort of an agreement is reached with um, P&ID, and that will probably involve them coming to the negotiating table and making an offer for some far less than £9.6 billion. But still nice, a nice and, and and pretty decent return, I'm sure, if you're uh, if you're a company that was uh, retained to build a gas refinery, which you didn't even build in the end. And now you
1: mentioned that P and ID have a number of people that you can talk to, but what about Brandon Cattle himself? Is he available? Has he been saying anything about this dispute?
2: He's made a couple of comments here and there, um, and mainly to the Nigerian press. Where you know he said uh, a couple of months ago that and um, PNID will be open to some sort of a reasonable sit down um, um, with the Nigerian government. Um, but apart from that, they keep them. They keep him back. I mean, uh, you know. I mean, uh, he lives in Dublin, uh, and we've tried him at home. We've tried him at his office, uh, and we don't get a response, or we haven't. We haven't managed to get through to him. Um, you know, his his business. Empire, if you like. He operates from a, a, a little house down a, a, a lane just off Mount Street, right next door to Dobbin's Restaurant, where Dobbin's Restaurant used to be. You know, you look yeah, at it. I this, remember it well, Mark. Yeah, well, if you, if, you, if you look at this little house next to it, which is behind raw iron gates, it doesn't look like much. You know, there's bars in the windows and bars in the doors. It doesn't really look like a modern office. But this is the nerve center, the epicenter of where um, um, and Mick Quinn and, and Brennan Cowell's business empire was run from. And ultimately, um, um, whatever decisions are, are are made in relation to this will be made, of course, by Fior Capital. The hedge fund but also down this little back lane in Dublin um, and that's where the Nigerian government's mm. going to have to go to solve this okay so where to from here what are the timelines what should we expect um, well, there's another case ongoing in uh, the United States where um, p and is trying to get the, the, the award recognised over there as well as the UK. Um, and we have no idea yet as to, as to when that'll happen, but uh, when we will get a decision on that. But that could come in the next few months. But really, it's up to both sides to reach a point where they feel they can sit opposite each other at the table and negotiate it. Um, For for Nigeria, it's important for Nigeria they get this cleared up as quickly as possible because it has an economic plan, development plan, that's uh, predicated upon borrowing loads of money in the international markets. Now, if you um, stiff people over uh, UK court judgments, that doesn't look good to foreign investors. And if that's what Nigeria ultimately does, um, um, it'll be bad for them. So I would estimate that there'll be some sort of a a deal done maybe later this year. I have no specific information that, but it looks like the most obvious way out of this.
1: All right, Mark that's the story we might return to on this podcast later in the year Uh, but that's it for now from Inside Business for this week. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, Mark Paul and Joe Brennan. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Remember you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Ciarán Hancock until next time take care.